You're listening to Nest Talk, the best and most elite Baltimore Ravens podcast on the internet. Now, here's your host, Christopher Linfont. Ladies and gentlemen of the Ravens flock, my name is Christopher Linfont bringing you another edition of the Nest Talk podcast, the best and most elite Baltimore Ravens podcast on the entire internet and today is a great day to bring you nest talk friday august 23rd recording this a little late today around 6 30 in the evening um had a great time at the ravens preseason game last night i was able to go watch baltimore take on philadelphia at lincoln financial field in philadelphia um so overall a great night there got out it was a little disappointing the way it ended um, with rain and lightning that caused the game to be suspended, but the Ravens get the win and extend their win streak in the preseason to 16, and we will talk uh, about my thoughts, my observations, of course I haven't had time to review the tape yet, uh, on that preseason game later in the episode, but about midway through the episode, of course we're going to talk um, news right after this little introduction here, but we do have a special guest here coming on the show, um, The one and only Tim Campbell of the Live for Sport Network is going to come on and talk a little bit about fantasy football with us. Um, Not only um, fantasy football for the Ravens, but fantasy football in general, dynasty leagues, everything you need to know about getting ready to start your fantasy football league. Tim Campbell of the Live for Sport Network uh, is going to be able to answer some of your questions. So I've got uh, his interview coming up, and I think you'll all enjoy that little bit. Um, But without any further ado, we do have to jump into the Ravens news that, of course, needs to be covered here. Um, and you'll remember last week, you know, in last week's episode um, of Nest Talk, we talked a little bit about, um, you know, the release of punter Sean Smith out of Dayton. Sean Smith, the undrafted rookie free agent out of Dayton, did not last in Baltimore after only what seemed about like a week. Was not able to stay on... Uh, with the Ravens, and the Ravens really wanted to just find somebody who could really um, fill in the role not only as puncher, but perhaps place kicker, Um, and I don't remember if he did it last night, but they did sign uh, former Georgia Bulldog and, you know, Columbia punter uh, Cameron Nizialik. Sorry if I am butchering that name, Um, but Cam Nizialik, they brought him in um, last Friday, I believe it was after I recorded the podcast, so, um, last, no, not last Friday, uh, last Saturday, they, I'm sorry, they brought him in on Saturday morning, uh, the news was released, and Nizialik is an interesting guy, uh, former Columbia punter, graduate transfer to Georgia, uh, we don't, obviously, we don't think he's gonna make this roster, I'm gonna tell you right now, he's not gonna make the roster, um, simply because, um, obviously the Ravens have Sam Cook. They have Justin Tucker. If this guy could place kick, I don't even know if he did any place kicking last night. Um, I will check the stats when we talk about our, uh, my, my thoughts on the game, but Nizi Alex is going to come in here and, you know, hold down the fort of punter. So Sam Cook doesn't have to punt all the time. Um, and Justin Tucker for, you know, so he doesn't have to, um, place kick all the time. And actually I do remember now Nizi Alec was kicking on, uh, kickoffs. I don't know if he had a field goal. I don't believe he had a field goal attempt last night. Now that's not the only roster move, roster move, the roster move the Ravens made um, that Saturday. They cut or waived um, undrafted rookie 
uh, out of Texas A&M Commerce, Michael Onuoha, and this is a guy I actually talked to in a uh, for an article I did on undrafted rookies on the Ravens, and they cut him, actually. Um, not entirely surprising because he did break his wrist in Baltimore's preseason win against the Jacksonville Jaguars in the first week. Um, and when you're looking for an entire roster to fill, obviously injuries like this one that happened to Anuoha, um, they're, they're unfortunate, but you do have to usually part ways with the player, especially if they're an undrafted rookie. They're probably not going to make the roster anyway. You want to be able to find guys um, that can impact this roster right away. So they had to cut uh, Anuoha. Um, in other news, uh, moving chronologically here, longtime Ravens PA announcer Bruce Cunningham uh, retired from his post, but will continue to cover the Ravens uh, on, in the local media. Um, he took over the team in 1999, believe it or not, uh, as the PA announcer. So if you ever go to a Ravens game um, from 1999 to 2019, or now 2018, I should say, um, you would have heard Bruce Cunningham's voice uh, making the announcements of what's happening on the field, when the Ravens score, all that. And it was a good run for him. I thought I would mention it in here. Of course, it's not the typical Ravens news we talk about, but it is an important piece of the franchise moving on. Um, so if he is listening, Mr. Bruce Cunningham, I would like to uh, wish you a happy retirement from your 20 years as Baltimore's PA announcer. Um, so after that, the Ravens obviously uh, had their preseason game last night. We're going to talk about that after uh, our interview with Mr. Tim Campbell of the Live for Sport Network. Um, but today we had some more news to talk about. Um, immediately after this preseason game, less than 24 hours, we're getting major bombshells coming in in the first um, if you followed my reporting last night of the preseason game on Twitter, you'll know that um, Jalen Ferguson, the rookie out of Louisiana Tech, did not play. He was not suited up to play. He didn't take a single snap. Um, so what was the deal with that? Obviously, when you have a guy like Jalen Ferguson, you're trying to give him, as a third-round pick, you know, a lot of time to develop. And you're pretty much not going to want to sit him like he's a resting starter. So... What did the Ravens do? Why did they do it? Why did he sit? And in all honesty, I had no idea why he was sitting uh, until this morning or this afternoon. Jeff Zrebic of The Athletic, um, one of the best Ravens insiders in the entire game here, uncovered that Jalen Ferguson actually is in concussion protocol. He was in it last night, and he still is in it today, to our knowledge, um, and that's why he didn't play. So obviously... You've got a guy who's supposed to be competing for a starting job at edge rusher not playing at all because of a concussion, a supposed concussion, an alleged concussion. We don't know the full extent of the injury. It may not even be a concussion, um, but he is going through the protocol and he did not play last night. So that is not a good sign for Mr. Jalen Ferguson out of Louisiana Tech. Now, what does that mean for the Baltimore Ravens here? Um, they have to basically continue to work on their um, edge rushers. Now, obviously, again, I'm going to talk about it later, but Tyus Bowser is a, guy, is a guy who emerged last night as a potential starter at the edge rusher position, had a great night, and he's had a pretty good camp, training camp preseason so far, Tyus Bowser has. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if he can um, continue on with this in the fourth preseason game. But he, he really was a big uh, presence on the Ravens last night, on that Ravens defense. Um but other than him, you know, there weren't a whole lot of sacks to go around. Peanut got half a sack with Brandon Carr, um, and that was really it. 
no one else is really showing a lot of pressure. I mean, yeah, you know, some of these guys got pressure, like Tim Williams got a quarterback hit, uh, Pat Ricard, Willie Henry, and Aaron Adoye got quarterback hits as well. Um, but Tyus was the only one to have a full-on ta- uh, sack by himself there, uh, and I believe he also had a strip of the quarterback. I don't remember if it was the same sack. I think he got... I, I remember him getting two sacks for some reason. That's why I tweeted out. That's what I remember happening. So he definitely stripped the ball, I think, from the quarterback, who may have actually crossed the line of scrimmage or was in the process of running, so it didn't count as a sack. Um, but he had a big night, regardless of, of how you deviate, how you denote these stats. Tyus Bowser had a big night, and that's going to impact where Jalen Ferguson stands on this depth chart because he could have been a potential starter here. Although he is still raw, he is developing into a much more refined pass rusher here. But the Ravens can't rely on a guy right now who's raw, who is in the process of refining, and who's coming off of a concussion to be the guy that's going to anchor down his side of the defensive line, the front seven, and attack the quarterback. So um, it's unfortunate for Jalen Ferguson in all uh, in all seriousness because you know he did have a major opportunity here, and he's not getting it right now until he clears his concussion protocol. It's like Chris Board. Chris Board, the inside linebacker, in concussion protocol, sustained a concussion in Baltimore's preseason win against the Green Bay Packers, had the chance to start, now probably won't get that chance at the inside linebacker position. So we're going to have to see what happens to Jalen Ferguson here. And maybe Pernell McPhee or Shane Ray uh, comes in and takes the job. But although I do like what Pernell McPhee is doing, I think he's been a big presence. He was even a captain last night. I don't know if that means anything for preseason. But he was a captain at the coin toss. And Pernell McPhee obviously has experience with the Baltimore Ravens, experience with John Harbaugh, head coach. Um, So we will see whether or not he can really take this opportunity um, and push for a starting gig. Uh, Pernell McPhee can. There's other guys, again, like Shane Ray that could potentially do it. Tyus Bowser. Um, but, you know, we don't want to see this field get narrowed too much like it is already with the loss of Jalen Ferguson for at least the foreseeable future um, until he clears the concussion protocol. If he clears tomorrow, then it's all fine and dandy. He's lit back for the last preseason game. But if he has a real concussion, then it's going to be difficult. Uh, and he sustained this concussion in practice, joint practice with the Philadelphia Eagles earlier in the week. Um, so it's a recent concussion. It's not like he got it a couple weeks ago and has been going through it. No, it's been um, from this past week's practice. So if it is a concussion, it's going to linger for a little bit, I would imagine. Uh, but we all hope and pray that it is not a concussion, not only for his football career, but of course for his own health sake, for his own safety. We really hope this is not a concussion. Final piece of news to talk about before we have our interview with Tim Campbell of the Live for Sport Network on fantasy football. Um, the Baltimore Ravens went out and made a big signing today. They signed a guy that you may not have heard of, but he is a veteran in this league. He's started a lot of games at inside linebacker, and that's Paul Worrellow. Uh Paul Worrellow is a 2013 undrafted rookie, uh, free agent in 2013. He signed with the Atlanta Falcons, and he ended up starting 43 out of 48 of those games um, in his in his three years with the Falcons from 2013 to 2015, um, and he did fairly well. Now Paul Warlow is not a guy who's gonna really you know blow your socks off with his inside linebacker play. Um, you know he's just not. He's an average inside linebacker. But when you look at the stats from those three years where he really um, was was able to contribute to a team, was able to start for a team. Um, between 2013 and 2015, 79 solo tackles in 2013. 2014, 
he gets 84 solo tackles. And that's a, a combined um, 127 total in 2013, 143 total in 2014. A little bit of a drop in 2015. Um, he only plays 15 games here because uh, I think of an injury or maybe he was rested, I don't remember. Um, but 67 total, uh, solo tackles, 95 total tackles. Um, but then in 2016, he loses his job to Deion Jones, the prolific inside linebacker for the uh, Atlanta Falcons. Moves on to Detroit the next year in uh, 2017. Doesn't start all the games. Only finishes with 20 solo tackles, 30 combined tackles. Um, and in 2018, he suffers a, a horrendous ACL tear. In, on the first day of OTAs, he signed with the Philadelphia Eagles, actually. First day of OTAs, he's out with an ACL tear. Doesn't play the entire season. Signs a contract extension because it was a one-year contract. Uh, he was on in 2018 to remain with the Eagles in 2019. But last week on, I believe it was August 18th, he was cut by the Eagles. Um, and that's where we stand. Now he's in Baltimore. The Ravens want to bring him in because of Chris Board's injury to give some more depth to this inside linebacker competition. And he's a guy I really think could usurp the starting position from the the current heir that it looks like since it's not Chris Board in Kenny Young. Kenny Young has had a decent preseason so far. His highlight was that huge quarterback hit on the sack in the first preseason game against the Jacksonville Jaguars. But since that moment, we really haven't seen enough out of Kenny Young to really make us feel, to make me feel that he's the guy at inside linebacker we can start and really roll with throughout the season. So Kenny Young, um, I mean, he was really um, the guy I was thinking would start um, in place of, of Chris Board, who was on track to start. Um, you know, Alvin Jones, Otero Alaka, two guys, you know, um, who I don't think would really give the Ravens the right view, although they could develop into good players right now. They're not very good players. They're decent at best. Alvin Jones, obviously, is the uh, second-year undrafted free agent, uh, and Otero Alaka is one of this year's undrafted free agents. But um, interestingly, Otero Alaka has actually gotten a lot of time on special teams, so maybe that's something that the Ravens would consider in finding uh, inside linebacker depth. But, uh, depth. Uh, but I do now believe Paul Wor- Paul Worlow, um is on track to basically take over the starting position here, um, and they've only got a week to evaluate him though. And if he if he doesn't do what they what I expect him to do and bring a veteran presence um, to the inside linebacker group, really anchor down the inside linebacker group. Although he's never been a great inside linebacker, he's been decent enough. If he can anchor it, um, then Warlow should be able to obtain that starting position by the end of the preseason, which is over in a week, which is already insane to think about that we're already this close to the end of the preseason. So that's basically all we have in news today. There's not much other news to talk about. Um, So we're going to jump right in. We have the one and only Tim Campbell on the line via Skype, and he is going to talk to us about fantasy football, his opinions on fantasy football. He is a fantasy football expert for the Live for Sport Network, and the host of the Mud and Cleats podcast. So without any further ado, let's cut right to it. Ladies and gentlemen of the Ravens flock, uh, joining me via Skype to the Nest Talk podcast is the one and only Tim Campbell of the Live for Sport Network, a fantasy football expert and the host of the awesome Mud and Cleats podcast, which I definitely check, uh, recommend you go check out. Uh, Tim, how are you today? Doing very well, Chris. How you been, bud? I'm pretty good. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. You're actually, I think I mentioned to you, our first guest on the show, and we're pretty happy to have you. 
So oh, to jump, you asked me to come on. I appreciate that. Yeah, of course. So to jump right into it, we're going to talk a little bit about fantasy football today. Um, some Ravens fantasy football questions, and of course, some more general questions for our listeners out there. So first off, I want to ask you if one of our listeners has the first pick in their fantasy football league, which player is um, the guy that they should go out? Who is the ma- who is the player that makes the most sense for that person with the number one overall pick? Whenever we're discussing the possibility of what kind of questions you might want to ask, and you gave me a brief list of what you had, I was really glad to see this be the first question on the board. But a simple fact that anybody involved in the fantasy league, the number one thing they should do is understand the scoring system within their league. That's going to give you an idea of what positions hold more weight. You might have a bonus league where quarterbacks are worth more, or maybe a PPR league that is weighted so heavily on receptions that a wide receiver is going to be your first pick in a draft. But for your basic standard leagues, and for most leagues that you're going to run into out there, running back are always going to be the top of the the food chain. And Saquon Barkley is going to be the guy. Uh, He has the opportunity for more touches than just about any other starting running back in the league. Either Eli Manning or Daniel Jones is going to be the starting quarterback throughout the year. The offense has to go through Barkley. He's pretty much the clear-cut number one pick for most people. Now, I have heard the argument about Saquon Barkley that basically that he's going to be the only um, real threat in the Giants offense. And some fantasy football owners are concerned that Saquon Barkley might see a lot of seven-man fronts and that could maybe lower his fantasy value. Is that something you'd be worried about or is that something that you think Saquon Barkley isn't going to um, really be affected by? Well, I think that does become a week-to-week concern whenever you have certain defenses out there that are obviously more adept at stuff in the run it's going to hurt his value just as will any other running back. But when you look at the top tier running backs that are out there, the only other guys you can really make an argument for would possibly be Ezekiel Elliott, maybe David Johnson. Some people were really high on Nick Chubb. I'm not quite there yet. But the idea that Barkley is going to have more opportunity than just about any other running back obviously gives him more opportunity to put up points than just about any other running back. Now, I'm glad you mentioned Ezekiel Elliott and staying within this NFC East division here. Um, Ezekiel Elliott is obviously facing the potential of a holdout um, over his contract in Dallas. Um, So some fantasy owners are concerned whether or not drafting Ezekiel Elliott, maybe in the top five, top ten, or in the entire first round would be worth it. What do you think about the Ezekiel Elliott situation, uh, and would you be comfortable drafting him high in the draft? Well, I think I'd still be comfortable taking him, but I'd have to do that knowing that I'm going to be taking Tony Pollard earlier than what I'd want to. And basically how that would shake out is you might not have all your starters on your roster at the point that you're forced to take Pollard just to make sure you have him if you take Elliott early. It's not one of these things where you can take Elliott early and then sit back and just wait and get Pollard later. You're you're forced to spend earlier when it comes to draft value. Now, whenever Elliott comes off suspension, you're obviously going to want to have both of them on your roster anyways because there's going to be times where – you know, maybe Elliott's dinged up and you need to have his backup. So you're going to want that handcuff regardless. But because of right. the suspension and the idea that he might not see, you know, significant time, you got to go with Pollard a little bit earlier than what you normally would. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, with Ezekiel Elliott, obviously, we don't know how much time he'll spend in the season. So I think it is a risk. But yeah, I think you're right. The upside with, with Elliott, you got to do take him early and, of course, have a good backup in place and Pollard would make a lot of sense for him. Um, moving on to the AFC North, you know, obviously 
the majority, you know, almost all my listeners here are Ravens fans. Uh, but there are really good players outside the Ravens in this a- AFC North division. Um, is there any like player in here? Do you think in this division that Ravens fans need to swallow their pro- uh, their pride a little bit uh, and take them in fantasy football? Yeah, whenever you're playing fantasy football, you just can't have any kind of allegiance right. to anyone whenever it comes to the draft. With the AFC North, there's a lot of talent out there. Uh, Roethlisberger's coming off a career year as far as passing yards goes. You're looking at Baker Mayfield. He's going to be in uh, Kitchen's offense for the second year. They also gave him Beckham now. So he's, you know, one of these guys that it, you just don't know. It, you want to take him as a starter potentially. And he could be a top 10 guy by the end of the year. But then again, you're talking about a second year player in an offense that's, you know, going to be kind of feeling its way out throughout the season. They're going right. to they're kind of going to get their identity on the fly. Now, Nick Chubb is going to be the biggest beneficiary of that the idea of having a good offensive line in front of him. And he's going to be pretty much the only guy to start the year. You don't have Kareem Hunt because of the suspension. Duke Johnson's gone now. So Dontrell Hilliard would be the only other option there. Uh, you look at, uh, you know, with Connor on the Steelers, you're going to want to handcuff him with Jalen Samuels probably because Samuels has looked really sharp. Uh, Smith-Schuster is going to be a top 10 receiver. Dante Moncrief is a guy that I don't think is getting paid enough attention to pretty much anywhere. The idea yeah. that he's going to be basically the number two to Smith-Schuster, it's now Smith-Schuster becomes Brown. And Moncrief, you know, he falls into that Smith-Schuster role. So there's a lot of potential for points there week in, week out. If Vance McDonald stays healthy, you're talking about another legitimate tight end. Uh, Looking at the Bengals, it's going to be tough to feel out what they're going to do early in the years. You know, switching a head coach, it's going to be a completely different team. I like what they're doing. Now, specifically in dynasty leagues, I actually think if you have a deep enough roster and you need a quarterback, you can probably go ahead and hang on to a guy like Finley. Long term, really? I expect Dalton to be. The, yeah, I just, I'm really not that high on Finley, to be honest with you. Okay. But I think long term, Dalton's not going to be there. And with Thomas being the guy there, it's it's a possibility that Finley is going to work into, you know, meaningful snaps and possibly becoming a starter for an offense that has the ability to put up points. He could become a, a Jared Goff level kind of passer. And, you know, fantasy wise, it's worth points, you know, but as far as expecting him to be some kind of franchise quarterback, that's kind of a tough pill to swallow. Now right. there's, there's people that want to talk about Joe Mixon. I agree. Joe Mixon is going to be very valuable in fantasy, but I don't think Travion Williams is the guy you want to cuff him with. I think Rodney Anderson is the guy you want to look at. And Tyler Boyd is going to be a legitimate, uh, you know, especially in PPR. Absolutely. League, he's going to get some points for act up. He's worth that contract that he got. He's not a speed burner or a blazer, but he brings down everything thrown in his direction. So yeah, in the AFC North, there's a lot of talent around. And I think you can play the waiting game with a lot of these guys and be able to get them in the mid rounds of the draft. And contrary to what a lot of people say, as long as you don't screw up big time in your first four or five rounds, a lot of leagues are won in that round six to round 10 area. Yeah, definitely. Um, I agree. There's a lot of talent in the AFC North, especially, you know, at some of these positions like running back uh, and even quarterback with um, Baker Mayfield, Ben Roethlisberger, and even Lamar Jackson, which brings us really into our next question here. Um, Lamar Jackson obviously is a quarterback unlike many other that have ever come into the league. Um, He's not exactly the best passer right now, but is developing at a a nice rate. Um, 
do you think he is a viable fantasy football quarterback, especially with his um, ability to run the ball as well? Uh, this wraps right back to the first question that you asked me. It's all about your scoring and how your league scores. I have a draft coming up this weekend. It's a friends and family league. It's I think next year we'll have been doing this league for two decades. Wow. And it has both. Yeah, it has, I'm getting a little bit up there in the years, but <laughs> it has uh, it has a bonus scoring setup so that quarterbacks get double points for rushing touchdowns. So a guy like Lamar Jackson's value goes way up. Michael Vick, Absolutely. whenever he was ripping it off for a couple of years, he was an absolute killer in that league. So I expect Lamar Jackson to go, you know, possibly as high as round two, but definitely within the first three rounds of that league. Now in a standard league, He's not a guy that you're going to want to draft and expect to be your number one quarterback, but you're definitely going to want to take a flyer on him later on in the draft because if he has, let's say he starts getting hot down the stretch and he starts getting consistent points, that's really all you want out of your quarterback. You just want consistent points. And if you have a guy like Lamar that can rush and throw the ball effectively, which I think he's going to actually – once they start getting these receivers to where they're streaking down the field and he can tear the top off of the defense with deep passes, let them run underneath and get it, and they can continue to turn yards on the ground underneath, it's going to be kind of hard to stop this offense. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think it's interesting you brought up the deep ball for Lamar Jackson because a lot of people you know, will question his accuracy, but they don't realize – I mean, he could really throw the ball pretty far deep. And if he can hone in on that accuracy with these speed burner receivers like Marquise Brown, I mean, this can be very fun to watch this Ravens offense going down the stretches as, as this offense you know, starts to develop around each other. Um, now, sticking with the Ravens offense, um, especially on the, uh, the running game here, it's a very, very deep pool at this running back position. Um, mainly Mark Ingram and Gus Edwards uh, are the two guys in this uh, running back pool. Um, that are going to carry the load. Now, Mark Ingram came over from New Orleans from a successful career there, and Gus Edwards was the guy who kind of burst onto the scene last year when Lamar Jackson took over as the starting quarterback. Um, do you think either of these two players, or maybe somebody else in this running backs field uh, in Baltimore, would be valuable for uh, in a fantasy football standpoint, or is it too clogged with talent for either of them maybe to get enough touches per game to where they would be viable starters in fantasy football? Yeah, that backfield is going to be really hard to sort through as the year goes on. I, whenever it was coming time for the draft, I really wanted them to do kind of what they did, which was go out and get Justice Hill because I yeah. felt like that was the kind of back you needed to compliment Gus Edwards. But bringing in Mark Ingram, really, I don't know. It's You're almost forced to have Ingram as the number one guy and Edwards to be like, like the 1B. You know what I mean? That's what so, I see, yeah. It's it's tough to get a real feel for how that goes. It might be a situation where they're playing a hot hand week in, week out, and that's going to be impossible to guess from a fantasy standpoint. But standalone value, I think they might actually both hold some serious value, but it's going to be from a flex position. It's not a guy that right. you're going to want to have as your running back, too, or something like that. You're going to want to try and, and wait on any of these guys till later in the draft. You're going to, you know, if you draft well at the top and you come away with a couple running backs and you feel pretty good about you know, the basis of your roster and you're thinking about that that flex position and you see a guy like Mark Ingram, you know, especially if you're sitting at maybe the 10 spot or the 12 spot and you got to turn around real quick, maybe you want to take Ingram and then just turn around and take Edwards right after that. And then you have both of those guys and you're comfortable with your flex position, you know, for the year based on just those two players. Now, as far as dynasty league goes, 
I really like Justice Hill. I think he's worth drafting. And long term, I think that he can become a really integral part of that offense. Yeah, absolutely. Especially with Justice Hill there. I mean, he is a very complimentary back to what the Ravens want to do because they've got two guys in Ingram and Edwards who can go straight up the middle. Now they've got two guys in Lamar Jackson and Justice Hill who can hit the outside with incredible speed. So it's going to be interesting to watch. I do agree that I think this running backs group is a little too clogged with talent and they will probably play the hot hand a lot. So yeah, it will be very difficult to decide in fantasy football if you would want to start one of these guys over the other. So it might be better for some people to just stay away from them for now. Um, Now, the Ravens went out in the first round and drafted Marquise Brown. Uh, Now, he is a very fast wide receiver, lots of talent, and the Ravens are very happy with how he's coming along. But he is coming off of an injury, and this offense, you know, is kind of uncertain around how they're going to produce, how they're going to move the ball downfield. Is he a guy you would recommend Ravens fans or really anybody in fantasy football take a risk on at any point in the draft? Brown, for me, is we weren't near as high on on him coming into the draft is what a lot of places were. Uh, he's a very talented guy. He's a little bit diminutive. I don't like the Liz Frank injury. Uh, there's questions about where exactly he's going to fit in. And I almost see him as being maybe like a Tavon Austin kind of player with what the Rams were doing with him early. Okay. And that is where Brown might have some serious upside, though. You're talking about, you know, you're running. We just got done talking about the running backs. You're going to have Ingram right. and Edwards just pound a rock off to one side. And you're going to have, you know, you're going to be doing that read run option. So Jackson's always going to be a threat. So linebackers are going to have to key on all these different moving parts. And then all of a sudden you have this little blur in purple and black that comes flying behind the line of <laughs> scrimmage, takes the ball. And before you know it, he's on the sidelines and he's off like a bullet. Now, he's going to be tough to see behind the line of scrimmage as the many of guys, the speed guys. It's tough for linebackers to read and react off the misdirection. So you already got everybody going one way, and then boom, this this absolute rocket is going the other way. So I think he holds some real value within the run game. And being that the Ravens are going to be running the ball a lot, I think, you know, based on that alone, there's a possibility that Brown could have some serious value week to week because of consistent points. Now, as far as being the guy that becomes the deep threat like he was in Oklahoma, I actually think that's going to end up being Miles Boykin. And on the outside, really? I still think Jaleel Scott has a chance to work into that role. They're bigger guys. They have a lot more wingspan. And when you have a quarterback that has accuracy issues, I like the larger frame, strong hand guys that can get down the field, that can compete for passes over the smaller guys that you got to drop put in the bucket. Now, don't get me wrong. There are going to be weeks when Lamar comes out there, he scrambles, you know, just a little bit outside of the pocket, and with a flick of a wrist, the ball is going to travel 60 yards, it's going to go past everybody, and then all of a sudden you're going to see Marquise Brown run underneath it because he can yeah, do yeah. that. But I, I'm just not real comfortable with that being a consistent thing. I think the other guys, especially Boykin, has the opportunity to be that guy. So for me, Brown is the kind of guy that in a dynasty league, you know, I'm looking at him in the second round. I know a lot of people like him late in the first. I'm, I'm not there with him. In a redraft league, it's tough to go after any of these Ravens receivers in a redraft league because we just don't know how they're going to utilize this group yet. There's a lot of different guys that can do different things until we see it about three weeks into the season. It's going to be hard to decipher. Yeah, and it's interesting you brought up um, Boykin and Julio Scott, actually. Um, I love what Boykin brings to the table. I think he can develop into a great wide receiver. But the issue with him specifically 
is he's dropped a few balls in this pre in the preseason. Uh, not so much training camp when it's against our guys, but when the lights come on and he goes up against a uh, real defense, you know, that's really taking a look, looking to take his head off or something. He's had a few drops. Now it's probably just a rookie mistake, but we also saw a little bit of that in the tape, uh, in his college tape. So Baltimore is hoping that he's going to be able to kind of progress down the line in the future. Um, and Jaleel Scott is a guy who's impressed a lot of people this training camp, this preseason. He's very tall. I think he's around 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, somewhere in there. Was, didn't make the Ravens roster last year after he was drafted, was put on the IR with a, um, I believe it was like a toe injury. It was more of an IR stash than anything. Um, but Baltimore is very confident in him long term. Uh, and I think both of those guys, especially in a dynasty league, would be someone um, you want to go take a look at if they're available in the later yeah, rounds, of course. I think Scott's somewhere in the neighborhood of about 6'5", 210, 220. I mean, he's mm-hmm. a larger frame guy. He's he doesn't have as much wiggle as what Boykin does, but both of them can bring that aspect of being able to get competitive catches. And I agree with you what you said about Boykin with the hands issue. That is yeah. something that did pop up from time to time on tape. But he also showed the ability to have very strong hands at the high point. We actually had a late first-round grade on him. I really think that really? he can become a number one receiver in the NFL. Oh, I absolutely agree. I think he's got the measurables. He's got the attitude to do it. Just needs to develop a little at that point. Yeah. Um, Moving on to our next question here, who would be maybe some of the best draft sleepers on and off the Baltimore Ravens, whether they're, of course, in Baltimore or somewhere else throughout the NFL that Ravens fans playing fantasy might want to take a look at? With Ravens specifically, it's pretty hard to be in a league in Baltimore with Ravens fans and get any kind of sleepers off of that team Hmm. Uh, because everybody's going to jump all over everybody. They're going to know all the names. Now, nationally, like we said about Justice Hill, I think he's a good guy to get in stash and dynasty leagues. We just talked about Jaleel Scott. Uh, we both like Miles Boykin. The one guy I think that is getting bypassed a little bit is actually Hayden Hurst. Now, Mark Andrews had, a, a, I believe, a mid-second to mid, yeah, I think it was mid-second to late second round grade. And then Hayden Hurst had somewhere in around a high third to a uh, mid-third. So we actually liked Andrews better than Hurst. And I still think that Andrews is a better chain mover and a better receiver than what Hurst will be. But when you start getting down in the running game, you start getting down into that red zone and you're working off them two tight end sets. All of a sudden, that other guy is the guy that can sneak out and come down with a lot of touchdowns. And it would not surprise me if Hurst ended up with somewhere between five and eight touchdowns just being that other option. So he's a guy that you might want to. If you're in Baltimore, you're probably going to have him get drafted. But, you know, guys outside of Baltimore. He might still be on the waiver wire and end up being able to come off and, and play for you whenever your starter's out and still get you points. So I think he's kind of sneaky. Now, if you're in an IDP league, uh, Patrick Onwasa is a guy that I think nobody's paying attention to that has the ability to actually put up some serious tackle numbers. He's got cover skills. He was a hybrid safety linebacker. He can get her all around. So I like him in IDP leagues. Yeah, Patrick Onwasa is definitely a guy that we're going to be looking at um, in Baltimore a lot this year with the departure of CJ Mosley is going to get a lot more time pretty much as the number one inside linebacker for this team. So he should have a ton of tackles for the Baltimore Ravens here. Um, moving on to our final question here. Um, obviously, you know, players get hurt. They go through their bye weeks. You can't start them the whole year. So who might be some of the most valuable fantasy backup players to have for when your starters need to rest? This is always one of those kind of questions. How do you find the right guy in a bye week? Um, Or what do you do, perhaps, if you have to handcuff somebody because of injury and stuff like that? You're looking at your top-tier guys, the guys you drafted to be starters, and then who are going to be the guys that you might have to call on throughout the year. 
So question like this, again, you know, always go with your scoring, whatever the setup is, look at that first. But I think there's going to be some players out there that are going to be on a wire that might have some standalone value that actually aren't a starter on their roster. With the Arizona Cardinals, I think in Kingsbury's system, Chase Edmonds might actually hold some standalone value if they do utilize him in the role that they were talking about during the preseason and, and OTAs. The idea that Johnson is obviously going to be the number one, but they've been using Edmonds with the ones and in receiving sets, and there's going to be plenty of offense to go around once they get clicking out there. Now, it might take a little bit of time for that, but I do have faith in that offense to actually be fantasy viable for the most part. Some other players, uh, we already talked about Jalen Samuels. There's a real possibility of James Conner missing time again. This is a guy that's a big guy. He plays hard football, and he's had major knee injuries. So he could be banged up. He could be out, and a guy like Samuels could come in and be a legitimate starter for a lot of different rosters. Some guys that are out there that nobody's paying attention to, and this ties into the last question you had about sleepers. With Quincy and Nanua in New York, if Sam Donald actually does make some kind of legitimate improvement this year, I think none was going to be the biggest beneficiary and nobody's going to be paying attention to him. Everybody will be looking at Robbie Anderson. So he can probably be had for a song. That's a guy that I'd want to draft late. If I'm thin at wide receiver, some other places in the league, Kalen Balaj was a sleeper at one point in time and not a lot of people were paying attention to him, but now with Kenyon Drake injury, He's probably going to, you know, come rocking it up. Some rookies, guys like A.J. Brown, if nobody's paying attention to him, you know, within your league circle, you got kind of got to feel what everybody's talking about. He might be worth taking a look at. Uh, I'm staying away from most everything San Francisco until I see what the hell is going on with that offense. They look yeah. really bad against Denver. I don't care what running back. I don't care what wide receiver. Uh, we were really high on Jimmy G coming on a draft. He obviously does doesn't look comfortable, can't say that it's rust or whatever. It's a tough call, but I'm staying away from everything San Francisco right now. Even, you know, guys like Tevin Coleman that people thought were going to go out there and, and be something, you know, worthwhile. I'm just, I'm not buying into it. The guy that's backing up Delvin Cook right now, you have to excuse me, his, his name slipped in my head, Madison, Alexander Madison. That's a guy that I think you could draft and he might have standalone value because Delvin Cook can't stay on the field for the entire season. So it's going to be guys like, yeah, you got to kind of pick and fill your spot, see how the draft goes. You might be late in the draft, and you might actually see some starting wide receivers, possibly even some starting tailbacks that have slipped through the cracks. You just never know whenever you get a group of guys together. Uh, a draft can go a lot of different ways. Yeah, and I, I agree with you with a lot of those points. I think um, Anunua is a guy I've been intrigued by for quite a while now with, with the Jets, but hasn't really had the right passer. Uh, in there to really showcase his talents, and maybe Darnold can be that passer. And yeah, San Francisco, obviously with Jimmy Garoppolo going about one for six, I think he got picked off once or twice, was not a very good showing for him coming out. Hopefully it's rust with him just being out so long uh, and can you know get back to the point he was at a couple of years ago um, when he joined the San Francisco 49ers uh, originally. But right now, yeah, I, I totally agree. Stay away from San Francisco with all that uncertainty around them. Uh, well, yeah, that's the end of our conversation, Tim. Thank you very much for coming on the Nest Talk podcast here and discussing uh, fantasy football with us. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Anytime. And just one more thing, just so you know, and for the people to listen to your show, I actually have the Ravens picked to win the NFC, AFC North right now. Do you really? I, I actually do. I've been breaking the schedule down quite a bit, and I, I'll probably do it a half a dozen times before I finally come up with the final one. But 
I honestly see them as a 10 and 6 team, and I see them sweeping the Bengals, and I, I think that's going to be the difference in the division. I, right now, I think that the, the Ravens, you know, it's tough for me to, to go out on a limb and say that in a way because that division is going to be extremely competitive. But right now, I got Baltimore picked. Hey, yeah, you know we love to hear that, but but it is totally going to be one of the most competitive divisions in football. Got the Ravens, reigning t- champions of the division, the very much improved Cleveland Browns, who now people are talking about a Super Bowl. Uh, I've never heard that before until this year. And, of course, uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers are always a threat. The Bengals, not so much, but they've got a new coaching staff, so who really knows? Uh, the division's wildly up in the air, but, of course, everybody in the national media here is fa- uh, favoring the Cleveland Browns, so it is nice to hear you know, some people still talking about the Baltimore Ravens uh, in that light. Well, thanks again, Tim, for coming on the Nest Talk podcast, and maybe we can get you on again sometime in the middle of the season to do like a fantasy football update. Um, and again, thanks for coming on. Anytime, bud. All you got to do is ask. Again, that was Tim Campbell of the Live for Sport Network. You can find him at T Campbell underscore L4SN on Twitter, uh, or you can go to um, Live for Sport Network. That's L-I-V-E-4, as in the number 4, S-P-O-R-T-N-E-T-W-O-R-K dot com. Uh, And there you can find some of the best forums um, in fantasy football, lots of great members over there, uh, and a great podcast, the Mud and Cleats podcast, which I highly recommend. So uh, thanks again to Tim Campbell for coming on the show, and we are going to now move in to um, the retrospective uh, look at um, the preseason game that happened last night. Now, again, you'll remember if you watched it, if you follow uh, me on Twitter, you know we ended early, about 11 minutes left in the fourth quarter remaining, and the reason, of course, was um, hazardous weather to not only the fans but the players as well. Um, and even if they waited out, the weather would have been at least 20, 30 minutes sitting down, getting unconditioned for a football game. Never want to risk your players like that, so it was a no-no at that point to continue, and the NFL made a good call. Um, and these two teams basically were both in agreement that the game needed to end. But um, now the good thing about this is that the Ravens were kind of starting to lose their momentum here. They were up 26-0 at one point, but the Eagles in the third quarter hit 15 unanswered points um, and started to look like they were going to come back and and steal this Ravens preseason streak away from them. Uh, And I know it's just the preseason and streaks and wins don't matter in the preseason, but 16-0 now in the preseason is pretty doggone impressive. Shows you the depth the Ravens really have, the coaching, uh, and the ability, of course, to go out and draft players in the later rounds to fill these rosters. So the Ravens are really demonstrating how deep of a team they are. Um, and, you know, even though it's a preseason streak, 16-0, it's still very cool to have. Um, so I'm happy they continued uh, this winning streak, and hopefully they can finish another 4-0 preseason um, next week against the Washington Redskins in Washington. But moving on now to talk about this preseason game, I think the number one takeaway from it has to be the play of Trace McSorley because Trace McSorley looked like a god amongst mortals out there on the field. And I am not exaggerating at all when I say that. This is not hyperbole. He looks like a god amongst mortals. 19 for 28, 203 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, rushing yards, four rushes, six yards, and a touchdown. And on that touchdown rush, he went basically headfirst in and pushed his way across the pylon into two defenders. Trace McSorley was the MVP of the game. 
plain and simple. He outplayed every other quarterback on the field, even Josh McCown, who shouldn't really even be a third string quarterback because he's a he's he's a bridge starter and, and what he is that's what he is, a bridge starter. He's a guy who's done it for years. Now he's only here for training camp. Shouldn't have really been playing against the threes, it's not fair. He comes out, throws seventeen for twenty four, one ninety two yards, two touchdowns, pretty good, but it wasn't Trace McSorley good. Trace McSorley commanded the offense in a way I haven't seen a quarterback in the preseason do. Well, I mean, you know, since Josh Woodrum. <laughs> but, you know, aside from that, he looks legit. Trace McSorley looked completely legit. He went up against the first team defense in the first quarter, or at least part of the first quarter, and dropped dimes and dominated the game, flat out dominated. He started part of the second half, looked like he uh, slowed down a little bit. Um, but that first half, he finished with about 200 yards in the first half, throwing the ball, was insane. It was flat out insane. I I was so impressed with Trace McSorley, and it's a homecoming game for him because it was in Philadelphia, it was in Pennsylvania. The Penn State guy led his team to so much success at Penn State. The Nittany Lions came in here and dominated the Eagles, and it's very important for him to do this because he is not in a position where he's a guarantee on the roster. He's drafted, yes, but he's a third quarterback. Not many third quarterbacks make teams. It's flat, It's it's plain and simple. And the Ravens usually don't keep third quarterbacks. They did last year because they knew they wanted to hang on to RG3. But they don't need to do it again. They don't. They have no real reason um, to do so unless Trace McSorley can prove himself worthy of it. And I think this is really the most compelling evidence we've seen from Trace McSorley that he has to be kept. And now there are people talking on Twitter, and I'm not so sure I agree with this right now. I want to see what he does next week. But people are talking about cutting or trading RG3. As much as we love RG3, but he is injury prone and we can't rely on him. To make Trace McSorley the dedicated backup. I mean, when we drafted Trace McSorley, nobody thought this was possible. Nobody thought this was any conversation. No one said that he was going to be a backup by the end of the preseason. And what do you know? He could be the backup quarterback. And he looked really good. And I know people who say that Trace McSorley at some point, is going to become a starting quarterback in the league. Not right away. He won't usurp Lamar Jackson. But, I mean, he's a lot of people think he's got the talent, he's got, you know, the mental capacity, the, not the mental capacity, but, you know, the mental attitude where he's a winner and just puts everything on the line to win, even in the preseason, it looks like. It's those, you know, intangibles he's got. He might be undersized, but some people really think he could become a starter. And, you know, if... if if he continues to play like this, I, I wouldn't doubt it either. Because he looked pr- like a prolific passer. He looked like an elite passer last night. And Trace McSorley in the first two games was decent at best. Had good moments, had bad moments. But it was not as good as this. And it was very, very impressive for Trace McSorley. Um, and he really was the entire offense last night because running the ball did not help. The leading rusher was Delance Turner with 24 yards and 6 carries. That's, 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 pre- that's pretty decent for Delance Turner. Don't get me wrong. He's, he's a good back. I think Delance C- Turner is a good back. He can make another roster. He won't make our roster. It's too crowded. But Justice Hill, 7 for 8. Tyler Irvin, 1 for 0. And Gus Edwards, Kenneth Dixon didn't play last night. Don't know what the deal with Kenneth Dixon is, but I assume Gus Edwards and Mark Ingram actually uh, were, you know, vet taking them out of the preseason game. 
Um, but the running game really didn't look very good at all. It just didn't. Uh, Marquise Brown got involved in the running game, and if you weren't paying attention to, attention to the game last night, surprise, because Marquise Brown actually played. Okay, This is one of the most major developments the Ravens have had this preseason, this, this offseason. It's, it's Marquise Brown actually was on the field playing a real tackle football game. And it was cool to watch. He had some good plays. He had a two-point conversion play that was uh, called back, I think, for holding, but he still caught the ball in a tight space. Had some runs in there, shut off his speed. It was really nice. He actually finished the day um, 3 for 17 um, with a long of seven receptions, caught all the targets to him. Uh, but again, on the rushing rushing side, he only got negative uh, four yards. They tried to end around jet sweep on him, and it didn't work. I, I knew it was coming. I, I commented on Twitter that I saw it immediately, and so did the Eagles. As soon as he went in motion, I knew exactly they were going to hand it off to Marquise Brown. And that's what they did. But, I mean, to finish the day, they're rushing... They rushed 20 times, only got 40 yards. That's a two, 2.0 average. A touchdown in there from Trace McSorley. Um, but it just it just was not a good day rushing. It was just not. Um, and I don't know how we can diagnose why. I'm very disappointed in what Justice Hill did. I'm extremely disappointed in Justice Hill's performance last night. Thought he should continue on what he built onto uh, last week. Um, but he wasn't able to do it. I don't think it's the end of the world for him. He's going to make this roster. He's going to have time to develop. But I want to see him continue to you know, progress at a very high level. Um, so he didn't do that last night. But you know, the receivers, if we take a look at these receivers, the obvious winner here is Michael Floyd. And it's like, Michael Floyd, he hasn't done anything all offseason. And now he gets three receptions, 54 yards, and a touchdown. Longest reception of 28 yards. He had a very, 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 very good night. Not as good of a night as J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, um, but Michael Floyd had a pretty darn good night himself in there with those 54 yards on three receptions. Looked like, you know, a dominant receiver out there, and he's a guy that's getting pretty high up there in age, um, and he's still being able to produce in the preseason. Obviously, he hasn't produced at, at a regular season level, since like 2015, 2016, but I mean, it is encouraging. I still don't think he makes this roster, but at least the Ravens have more options here. Uh, Miles Boykin was targeted twice, caught a, one reception for 44 yards, was pretty darn good um, on that. He made a couple jukes and kept running. I thought he was going to get to the end zone, but couldn't escape the tacklers. Um, then, of course, you've got Mark Andrews, who had a single reception, but was for 25 yards. I think the pass itself only traveled like 10 yards. And Andrews carried like three three defensive backs for 15 extra yards. It was insane. He's a monster. He just pushed. Nobody was able to stop Andrews on that play. He pushed right through them all. Uh, fantastic to see by Mark Andrews there. Chris Moore looked okay. Two receptions on two targets for 25 yards. Nothing special there for him. But he's had a pretty solid preseason. Julio Scott had a touchdown. Back corner of the end zone. I was on the other side of the field. I couldn't really see his toes. But it was the back corner of the end zone. He went up over somebody to get it. And that's very important to see for Julio Scott. I think he's going to make the roster the way he keeps playing. We didn't see enough out of Antoine Wesley. He didn't catch a single pass. I think he was targeted once maybe. But I don't remember exactly. He didn't look very good. Not really out there, you know, forcing the quarterback to throw to him. Not getting open enough. Um, not making plays out there. Um, and some other minuscule people in here. Uh, we mentioned Julio Scott. Hayden Hurst got a catch for 10. Jalen Smith a catch for 9. Justice Hill 2 for 8. Um, you've also got Tyler Irvin in there, the running back, former Houston Texan. 
Uh, and return man, he, he got a, a catch for three. Cole Hart Herdeman got a catch for two, the tight end out of Iowa. Uh, Joe Horn got targeted once but never uh, received it. And Delance Turner got a ball for a negative five yards, actually, so it wasn't too good for him. But overall, a really good day for the Ravens um, through the air. Uh, and, of course, the winners here, you got to say, obviously, Miles Boykin only, only didn't catch one ball today, and a huge reception for 44 yards was amazing for him. Michael Floyd trying to keep his career alive, 54 reception yards and a touchdown, a really impressive touchdown if you go back and watch uh, the tape on that. Jaleel Scott with a touchdown, um, jumping over a guy you know, to get it. Very big night for him, uh, and it's important for him to do that. Now, Looking at the secondary here, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside tore up the secondary. I have no idea what happened or why the Ravens couldn't stop him. But Arcega-Whiteside just shredded everybody out there. It was eight receptions for 104 yards and a touchdown on nine targets. And, of course, he scored the first touchdown of the game uh, for the Philadelphia Eagles in the third quarter in the corner of the end zone, I believe it was, or um, something like that. Just what happened? I, I don't understand. I mean, the, the secondary looks pretty poised in the first half, but the second half, they looked pretty sluggish out there. Um, and it was re- Maurice Kennedy got burned a few times. I have to I'll be real with you. I don't think Maurice Kennedy is going to make this roster. He's gotten burned a few times throughout the preseason. He got burned a couple times last night. It wasn't very good. Um, you know, Cyrus Jones looked okay out there. I mean, the big takeaway was, was Mo Kennedy got burned a lot. Sean Elliott was around the ball a lot, and he made some interesting plays. Didn't get a pick, but, I mean, he had a few opportunities at it. Just wasn't close enough to the ball. Uh, not enough time to make the adjustment to get to it, although he was always around the ball, made a few impressive tackles out there. Kenny Young had a pretty big hit. That seems to be Kenny Young's specialty here is big hits. Not sure how much that's going to really play into him potentially starting here, but he's going to have to uh, do better, too. Bennett Jackson didn't look very good. Uh, moving on back to the cornerbacks here. He let up a touchdown. It was not very good. Uh, I believe it was in the middle of the end zone. He he just blew coverage, it looked like. Um, you know, other than that, though, I think the defense was fine. Stanley Jean-Baptiste, I think, let up a touchdown. I don't remember. Um, maybe it was... I, I don't know. But Stanley Jean-Baptiste looked okay, but he did let, let up something. I can't remember if it was a touchdown or just a random big play. I think it was a touchdown. I don't know if Mo Kennedy let up a touchdown, but he got burned. I know for a fact that uh, Bennett Jackson did. Maybe it was Bennett and Stanley Jean-Baptiste. Anyway, not to go completely off the rails here. Not a good night for him, but he's probably not going to make this roster anyway. Um, Stanley Jean-Baptiste. But, you know, the starters played for a little bit. Not all of them, of course, but some of them did. They looked fine. It wasn't anything wild there. Haven't been able to really get back into any tape reviews. I'm hoping to do a lot of that this weekend and into next week. Uh, pump out a few articles on those. So we'll get a more in-depth view of, of what happened in this Ravens preseason game um, when I get the tape review done. And that will probably be this weekend for the first couple, and then maybe the Eagles will come out next week. Uh, it'll all probably come out next week, so just you know, hold on to that. Wait for BaltimoreFeather.com. Uh, subscribe to the newsletter there to make sure you get... Uh, those articles when they come out and of course there will probably be a video form not sure how I'm going to do it yet um, but there will probably be a video form for you to uh, look at as well um, and and punting I think it's important to mention that Nizi Alec the guy they just recently signed we talked about earlier average of 46 yards a punt 92 yards in total on two punts um, his longest was 49 so that was okay for him um, Justin Tucker hit two out of two field goals 
Jake Elliott missed one field goal for the Philadelphia Eagles. And that's really all we have to talk about for this game. Um, I'm trying to remember if there's anything else I want to touch on. I mean, it was a good win for the Baltimore Ravens here. They get to increase their streak, you know. Obviously, it would have been more fun for everybody involved that they were able to finish out the game without any weather interference, but they weren't able to do that. Um, But that's just how it goes sometimes. Um, There were a lot of flags, though. I have to say, if you watch the game on TV, you were at the game, whatever, you'll know there's a ton of flags. I mean, it it felt like every play there was a flag. There was at least once or twice where five, six plays in a row. Flag, flag, flag. And it was on both teams. A lot of bogus calls. Um, there was a really bad call on, I think it was Deshaun Elliott. Helmet, leading with the helmet. And all he did was like tuck his head into his own body to protect it when he went to hit somebody. And they called it like that. I mean, there were, it just, it wasn't great officiating. And I hope the NFL doesn't, you know, start to kill some of these plays uh, and alienate the fan base here. Because if, 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 Everything is going to be a late hit. If everything is going to be unnecessary roughness, if everything is going to be leading with the helmet, then how on earth can we play a football game? Um, but, you know, it's preseason. The refs are getting into focus here. Let's hope that's all it is uh, and nothing more. Let's hope this doesn't carry into the regular season uh, for all of our sake, you know, as fans especially, um, because it just wouldn't be fun to watch play after play after play of flag after flag after flag. So that's going to conclude today's episode of Nest Talk. I hope you enjoyed um, our interview with Tim Campbell. I'm looking to see who else we can get on the show as a potential um, guest, you know, to talk about not only the Ravens, but maybe some other divisions. Um, I'm sorry, teams in the division, uh, upcoming games. I'm looking at some people right now. I'll let you know maybe um, if we book anybody for the near future. But um, I wanted to make this one a surprise. I'm very happy Tim Campbell came on. I've been on his show a few times. I was looking to get him on. Uh, and this was just felt like the right time to do it. So uh, make sure you go over there, of course, liveforsportnetwork.net. I'm sorry, .com, liveforsportnetwork.com. Uh, listen to the Mud and Cleats podcast, participate on their forums, and follow them on Twitter. Um, always a, a great guy to interact with. Um, and make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you're listening on YouTube, hit the notification bell to get all our podcasts and videos. Uh, pretty quickly, you'll get notified. Um Make sure to go on to BaltimoreFeather.com, sign up for a newsletter for all the latest and greatest Ravens news and opinion articles. Uh, if you're listening on iTunes, make sure you rate us on iTunes and subscribe on iTunes. It would really help us um, bring a larger audience to the show. Uh, if you know anybody, make sure you, uh, any Ravens fans, you know, know any other Ravens fans, make sure you tell them about our show. Um, and of course, if you have, have any suggestions at all, let me know through a comment, through an email. You can reach me at um, info at baltimorefeather.com tweet me at bmorefeather at chris linfont at nest talk find us on facebook like us there comment whatever you want i'm always looking for um, suggestions and you know I, I occasionally get suggestions but i would like to have um some more you know to make this podcast really for you guys the best that it can be um not only is a ravens news podcast ravens opinions podcast um uh, but just an entertaining podcast all around um, so this is Chris Linfont signing off from BaltimoreFeather.com uh, and the Nest Talk Studio. We will see you next week after the Ravens conclude the preseason against the Washington Redskins uh, in Washington. So again, this is Chris Linfont signing out.